Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We're going to get you ready for the NCAA Hockey Tournament, which begins Friday. The Northeast Regional will be at the Times Union Center starting Saturday when Boston College plays Notre Dame at 1 p.m. and St. Cloud State meets Boston University at 6.30 p.m. The winners meet in the regional final with a Frozen Fort berth in Pittsburgh as the reward. Later on, I'll have interviews with BC coach Jerry York, BU coach Albie O'Connell, and Notre Dame coach Jeff Jackson. My first guest will be the analyst at the Fargo Regional for the networks of ESPN. He's also one of the great minds in hockey. Of course, he also analyzes the World Juniors for the NHL Network. And he'll be on the analyst role for the uh, Westwood One for the Frozen Four. Please welcome back to the podcast, Dave Starman. Dave, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Happy hockey. And, uh, gosh, we got we got here to the uh, the tournament. It's, uh, it was a wild ride, but we got here. Let's start right there. We got here. And if you and I started to publicly acknowledge everybody that deserves a thank you to get the NCAA hockey world to national championships at any level, it would take us hours. And I'm so glad it's here. I am hoping that we get through this with without any other tests coming up positive, but what a ride. Yeah, we're taping this on a Tuesday, and it's the, the deadline that passed on Monday night for any teams to back out. So you know, if there's uh, somebody backs out between the now and the time we post this podcast, that's that's what the way it goes. But uh, uh, I, I talked with Mike Kemp uh, on uh, Sunday night, at, uh, the chair of the NCAA Men's Hockey Committee, and I I asked him, do you miss the pairwise? He said yes. It was just probably one of the most difficult time, <laughs> times this year with with the with the situation. No no really minimal non conference games. It was kind of j- tough to judge. I mean, how do you think the committee did putting this bracket together? It's like it's like old time hockey here. I thought they did great, to be honest. And I've talked to a couple of guys on that committee since, and I, I mean, I know they had a tough go of it. And what one mistake that. I just wanted to correct real quick. I know we were talking on the selection show about Notre Dame being the last team in, and I'm not quite sure where we where we made the mistake. They weren't the last team in. There are three teams for two spots, and then the St. Lawrence thing happened, and Notre Dame was the beneficiary. But I just wanted to clean that up a little bit. They, they weren't the last team in, but they were in that group of, of three into two uh, towards the end of the bracket. But uh, that being said, I, I think that committee did an unreal job and trying to figure out getting people to places safely, non-conference matchups in the first round, uh, who goes where, who belonged with who. It just they, they had some decisions that had to be made, and they didn't have a whole lot of time to do it. And without being able to utilize some of the non-conference stuff that we're aware of and pairwise stuff that we can use, I, I, that was the last job I wanted in hockey was trying to get this day figured out, but they hit it right in the head. Yeah. Well, let's look at the uh, matchups. We'll start here in the uh, Northeast region uh, where it'll be played at the Times Union Center. First time the Times Union Center has hosted a Northeast regional. It's usually been the East regional or in a couple of Frozen Fours. But we'll start with the Holy War, which did not take place this season during the regular season. It's Boston College and Notre Dame. And uh, the story I wrote for Monday's Gazette that these two coaches, Jerry York at BC and Jeff Jackson Notre Dame, both won national championships in Albany. 
uh, you know, 2001 for Jerry York with BC, and then 1992 with Jeff Jackson at uh, Lake Superior State. What do you think of this matchup? I really like it because I think Notre Dame at times gets mislabeled as being a very structured, grinded out, methodical, robotic team. And when you watch them play, I mean, that is about the last thing that they are. This They can really get up and go. And I, I enjoy watching them play because while they do have really good methodology in their game, what I think sometimes gets overlooked when it comes to, to Notre Dame is the fact that this is a team that can just absolutely go. And they've got skill, they've got talent, they can move the puck, they can play fast. you got really talented kids, whether it be Alex Steves or Graham Slaggart or you know, Landon Slaggart had a great year. And, uh, I, I love guys that are back in that can move the puck. You know, Lieberman's a good puck mover. Spencer Stassi's a good puck mover. And these are, you know, the guys I'm talking about were all drafts with the exception of Steves. And Steves is a free agent as a junior, I think, at 32 or 33 points this year. So, I mean, they've got a decor that can go and move the puck and skate with it. They, they've got a lot of character up front. They've got two or three lines that can really move the puck. They can freewheel, too. So people were starting to think about how this matchup between Notre Dame and BC was going to be one where BC was going to be flying all over the place and Notre Dame was going to be trying to slow it down. I tend to think that if BC wants to go up and down the ice, Notre Dame would be very happy, comfortable, and willing to do so mm-hmm. because, like I said, they're, they're just not this team that, wants to grind you down and pack it in. Notre, Notre Dame can really go. Two veteran coaches in Jerry York and uh, Jeff Jackson. And I, uh, you know, I, uh, Jerry York is 75. I, I hope to make it 75 to begin with. But him looking at 75 is like, I want to be Jerry York at that age. He looks like he's not, he's 55 at this point. But uh, just the, the coaching matchup, the legendaries between these two. They're two really bright, wacky minds. And they're both smart enough to know that being surrounded by really good hockey minds matters. And when you take a look at Notre Dame, Jeff Jackson and his staff have been together since Jeff took over there with Paul Pooley and and, uh, and Andy Slaggart. And, and that's a team that has built some wonderful teams over the years, teams that probably could have won a national title, you know, with a break here and a break there. And then you take a look at Jerry York. And, you know, Jerry likes the, the high-flying offensive game. Jeff Jackson is a guy that loves offense, too. You, you remember his Lake State teams. Those teams can go. And uh, I think that you're looking at two guys who – despite the fact that, you know, they're, they're older, have been very, very good at maintaining their grip on the modern game and have evolved year after year after year. And you, you think back to Red Berenson and Jack Parker and Dick Humilly have all said, okay, you know what, it's, it's, it's time to, to move on and, and go do something else. Those are not guys where the game passed them by. They were just ready to, to move on in their careers. Jerry and, and Jeff are so entrenched at where they are and, and and but the bottom line, whenever I talk to these guys, it's always about what what's out there next. You know what has happened since, and and then what's happened next, and where the game is trending to. And these are two guys that are just still on top of the latest innovations year after year. One player that I'm going to be watching on Saturday, and he helped lead uh, Team USA to the gold medal in the World Juniors, is uh, Boston College goaltender Spencer Knight. I recall the, the opening game of the World Juniors, and uh, Spencer got lit up, and at one point there, before he got pulled, he was looking to the bench, and you think he, he, it was like, it was like, he was like saying, get me out of here, get me out of here, but what, what do you think turned it around for him, because uh, he, he played solid, a solid uh, net, uh, net after that, especially in the uh, championship game against Canada. You know what's funny? I, I know you're in, in the Albany area, and it was in Albany in 2010, during that regional I was in Toronto, and I was really heavily after Ben Scrivens, a free agent out of Cornell. Mm-hmm. And Ben couldn't have played worse in that regional semifinal 
against New Hampshire. I think he got pulled in that game. Yeah. And I remember Dave Poole was my boss in Toronto, and he called after the game. He goes, you you sure about this one now? And, like, he's sort of half serious, half joking. And I said to him, yeah. I said, let's throw out his best game and his worst game and take the body of work from there. For Spencer Knight, I find the same thing. That might have been one of the worst games he'd ever played. You take that game out, and his body of work is really, really good. And he has shown great propensity to be able to rebound from an average game. It doesn't have a lot of them, but he's shown a great ability to rebound from average games. His numbers this year were terrific. And when you take a look at where he went from that World Junior game straight ahead, Mike Ayers is the goalie guy at Boston College. He's a really good goaltender development coach. And I talked to Mike the day after that game, and Mike was like, this game would, this game probably didn't bother him 20 minutes after it ended. He goes, all he does is park it and move on. And that's why I think Spencer Knight's an elite goalie. And on the physical side of it, He's just got a unique ability to be in front of pucks. He, he anticipates well. He's really good with his economy of movement. He's really good at hitting his marks. And he's got a nice ability to be where the puck is going and in a position to make a stop before the shot ever gets to the net. And I think that's why he's a guy that, you know, not only at the NCAA level, but when we look at it at the next level, it's just going to be an elite. Well, let's take a look at the other game. that will be at 6.30, uh, the, the BC Notre Dame game will be at 1 o'clock on uh, Saturday. The s- second game is 6.30, St. Cloud State. And Boston University, Boston University only played 15 games last year. I think they were the latest team to get their season going because they were really ravaged by COVID. But uh, they seemed to, they got beat by Providence in their first game, but they seemed to take off after that. I'll tell you what, BU is one of the few teams in the, in the tournament that I didn't get a chance to see a ton. I saw bits and pieces, and you know what I saw was a team that can really play offensively, that just Wave after wave, it's, it reminded me of a lot of the BU teams that I've seen in the past. That, you know, when I look through their roster, not a lot jumps out at you as weaknesses. And I just, I just like the way they play, but it, I just had limited viewings on them. The team that I can a whole lot more about, obviously, St. Cloud State. Right. And you know, without, you know, without having seen BU enough, it's hard to make a compare and contrast as to who's better, who's not better, how the game shapes up. But I will tell you this about St. Cloud State. They've got Nick Perpix on their back end, who's a really good defenseman. Seamus Donahue came in to replace Jack Sean and has been terrific in that role. He's a transfer from Michigan Tech. They've got a nice defense core that is workmanlike, hard hat, and moves pucks up ice really well. But, and there's a line that they've got right now. It's centered by Yanni Cronola, Vidi Tietnin, and Zach Maccabi are the wingers on that line. That line is as good as any in the country in terms of its ability to get up and down the ice score, create, create speed, create chances, and force teams into turnovers. So you got that group, and Kevin Fitzgerald, I think, is playing between, between Sam Hentges and Chase Brand. Fitzgerald has been terrific this year. And then you get the big line with Nolan Walker between Easton Brodzinski and Micah Miller. Those, those guys have just been work-like and dialed in all year. And David Renak has risen to the occasion when he's had to. The, the, the one thing to watch in this game, Renak is better in the second game of back-to-backs. He has been shaky in the first halves. And unfortunately, with these tournaments, as you know, you don't get a second chance if you have a bad first one. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's the thing to watch in this game. Watch Rennick early in this game. He makes a couple of big stops early. St. Cloud is good to go. If it looks like he's fighting early, that game gets more interesting as it goes along. Let's take a look at the East Bracket. and Everything will start on Friday at 1 o'clock in Bridgeport, Connecticut at Webster Bank Arena when Wisconsin, a team that really turned things around this year, uh, the top seed in the East will take on Bemidji State in Game 1. You know, it's 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 a regional. I, I kind of like the way that that one is shaping up, and I really like what Wisconsin has done this year. And I think a lot of credit for Wisconsin's turnaround. First of all, goes to the coaching staff. 
Hopkins, Mark Strobel, Mark Kosicki, and head coach Tony Granato, Durant Hockey House, Shane Connolly. That was the team that struggled last year and really couldn't find its identity and probably a lot of guys that were one foot out the door. And this year, they really got it dialed into who wants to be there and why. And with guys like Holloway and Caulfield really playing into the identity of their team and Caulfield being much more of a 200-foot player, which I think starting to develop a whole lot before the World Juniors really came through during the World Juniors. As so after, you, know, you talk about a high-impact player, ability, he's an uncanny pop up the right place at the right time, which is feel. But it's also handling the puck all the red line, and that has created many more opportunities. They'll take on Bemidji State. Bemidji's a, Bemidji's a really good, solid, defensive team. They can, they'll can find you some goals, but they've always been a team that has been great above the puck. They reload so well. They make it really hard for you to get to the neutral zone. So it's one of those matchups where puck management's important and where Wisconsin is so good at it. It's those two or three times where they decide to make a high-risk play in the neutral zone where Bemidji State can counter them, and I think that's where that game could be unique is between the blue lines. Yeah. The second game in that uh, region is uh, UMass, which uh, reached the uh, Frozen Four Championship game in uh, 2019 against Minnesota Duluth. They'll take on Lake Superior State. UMass won its first uh, Hockey East tournament title, and uh, Greg Carwell, I think, has done a great job in getting that program to be elite status in Hockey East, because now you, you, know, you just don't think of BC and uh, BU anymore, and or, or Providence now. UMass is in the, in the talk now with uh, one of the top programs in Hockey East. Well, I'll tell you what, I think you know that my, my son's a sophomore at UMass, yeah. not a hockey player, but he's working in around the hockey program. And, I, you know, Ben Barr and I go back a ways, Jared DeMichael and I go back a ways. Speaking of that 2010 regional in Albany, Jared DeMichael basically owned that one. Yeah. And uh, UMass, they are so interesting. The first day Greg Carville walked into the, into the program, walked into the locker room when he took over, he wrote on the board, on the whiteboard in the locker room, he just wrote the words, NUMASS, N-E-W-M-A-S-S, and he just left it there. And you know what? It's still there. Nobody's taking it down. And just a simple little thing took flight, and it has become the theme of that program. And I, you know, the first couple of years were tough. Then he started to build. You made a great point. I mean, they're up there at the BUs and the BCs, but they're not recruiting the same way as BU and BC are, and that's where they've been successful. Most of UMass's recruits are generally a recruit that they locked in on the year before. They get a lot of late bloomers. They get a lot of older players. They get four-year guys that stay and build cultures. You know it from your time covering Union College. Who are the programs that have been really successful in the NCA in the last five, six, seven years winning national titles? It's not the big shiny object. It's the teams that are older, heavier, stronger, have senior leadership, have built a culture, have built a legacy, and are able to retain very good players for three to four years. UMass is right in that boat. That's why Greg Carvel not only has built a good program, but I hear a lot of college coaches be mentioned for future NHL jobs, Greg Carvel's name has got to be in there. Well, Buffalo Sabres could use a coach. Don Granato is a good friend of mine, so I, I, I can't go there. Okay, okay. We, 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 we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, Lake Superior State, great story. I mean, the losing record last year. This year, 19-6-3. Uh, they win the WCHA tournament title. What's been a key to the turnaround there? They're a team that is really well coached. I don't think, I don't think even Witten gets enough credit for for what he's done there. And, you know, when you take a look at Lake Superior State, first of all, the nice thing is they've got tradition there, right? So that that's a part of it. But it hasn't really exposed itself in a long time. And, you know, this year the door opened up wide for them, and, and off they went. Ashton Culver's had a great year for him. I, I, he was somewhere near 30 points from, from what I remember. Their goaltending has been, been really good. This Marcus Mittens kid, I had a chance to watch him in the North American League a few years back when I was scouting for Montreal. 
He played for, I think he played for Latvia in the World Juniors. It was one of those tensions, but I'm pretty sure it was Latvia. And they had a pretty good showing there. And I know that there are a lot of NCAA teams that were in on him to get him in as a goalie. In the North American League, it's just a goaltending factory when it comes to getting guys up there. But, you know, he had a really good record this year. He was something like nine or ten games north of the 500 mark. And you know as well as I do, you get a big stud goalie in there. And that makes everybody stand up a little bit taller. And one of the big reasons that they're a good team is a senior goaltender who knows how to lead and knows how to be composed and has been great for him. Well, we'll take a look at the uh, Midwest and West regional brackets in just a moment here on the Parting Shots podcast. Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette sports newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the Parting Shots podcast. We're talking NCAA hockey tournament with uh, Dave Starman of CBS Sports Network, NHL Network. Uh, and, then, of course, he'll be calling the uh, be the analyst at the uh, West uh, Midwest Regional in Fargo, North Dakota with Leah Hextall. I mean, it's, it's, I think, her third year doing this, and she's done a pretty good job. Yeah, I think she worked with Billy Jaffe twice. I got a chance to meet her in Providence a couple of years ago, and you know, it's interesting. I've worked with a lot of Hextalls. You know, Ron Hextall is the GM in Manchester when I did some free agent scouting for them a few years back. Blake Hextall was director of hockey ops at Western Michigan, so I've got a chance to work with him. So my Hextall hat trick is now complete. <laughs> I covered Ron Hextall when he played in Hershey my first year covering right. pro hockey, so it's uh, it's amazing how everything, uh, six, six degrees of uh, Ron Hextall. <laughs> anyway, yep. uh, let's talk about that. Your regional, you're going to be out here in the Midwest in Fargo, North Dakota. With uh, host North Dakota taking on uh, American International on uh, North Dakota, the top-ranked team heading in the top seed. Uh, can they be? Can this team be stopped? You know that's the million-dollar question. And here's the thing I'm going to bring up to you: there's two sides of this. And now I've seen North Dakota play 17 games this year, and probably 100 over the last four games, right? Just because of my between scouting and the NCHC TV package. I mean, I, I lived North Dakota for a long time, and when it comes to this year. This is a team that came in with the motto of unfinished business. They really felt like they should have been the favorite in Detroit last year to win the Frozen Four, Minnesota Duluth notwithstanding. They had a great team last year. They lost a little bit. They put a lot back into it, and they still have that motto of unfinished business. And this might only be the second time in history where North Dakota has returned its entire senior class. And this is a really high-end senior class, obviously led by Jordan Kawaguchi and, and Colin Adams. But... When you take a look at this roster, you, you know, you go through it, you go find the hole in it. I mean, even when they lose Jacob Bernard Docker for the last two games of the frozen faceoff, they don't miss a beat on their back end. Their back end is elite, and it's led by guys like Bernard Docker and Matt Kierstad and you know, a pair of Ottawa drafts and Jake Sanderson and Tyler Clevin. Gabe Bass has been a warrior for this team in, in a bottom-pairing role. Cooper Moore, draft choice in the Detroit Red Wings has been great. Adam Sheelan goal has been unflappable. He has really turned it around from last year being really good and then faltering and having to get the net back to this year going wire to wire and being just an outright stud. And then you get Shane Pinto, who, i, I got to be honest, Shane Pinto might be the best player in the country. So this is a, you can't find a hole in this team anywhere. That being said, with all of the elite guys that they've got on this roster, not one of them has played in the national tournament. And that is really unique 
going up against an AIC team where they've got a couple of classes that have come back. And of those classes that have come back, those guys were in the lineup when AIC as a 16 knocked out St. Cloud as a number one in a game I did in Fargo two years ago. Yeah, There's your drama in Fargo right now. Yeah, they, they, I, you know, what John Eric Lang has done at AIC, it was incredible. I mean, uh, the, the feel-good story of that 2019 tournament, uh, as you mentioned, beating St. Cloud uh, and then uh, you know, falling to Denver in the, the regional final. But uh, just talk about the job he's done and getting AIC in national attention. Well, I've had, I had the pleasure of coaching Eric when he played junior hockey for us with the, with the Junior Islanders on Long Island. And he's a kid from the Bronx. He was always scrappy. And, you know, I, I, like, I remember back then, Eric was one of those players where you might have taken a look at him and said, hey, I'm not sure where he fits in the lineup, but he fits somewhere, and we're going to keep and find out where. And he was just one of those utility players with a lot of gusto and a lot of compete and a lot of, and a lot of grit and you know, that's been his career, and he's just advanced himself into being a terrific head coach who, who understands the dynamic of the program that he's at and knows how to recruit to it. He's done a great job with the Europeans. And, and I remember Brian Riley telling me that he was at Army that you know, the one thing that Langer never understood was the word no. He was like, if teams in our league are going to go scout the USHL, so am I. If teams are going here, so am I. If teams are going here, so am I. And then he changes the philosophy a little bit to say, hey, I know where the obvious guys are. It's the guys under the radar that are going to make our program good. And that is what he has done with a great staff at AIC. And ever since that game at Fargo, all they've done is win two league championships. So this is this is a program on the rise. And there are going to be a couple of high-profile college head coaching jobs that probably start to open up. CC is one of them right now. And there are going to be some others. And Eric Lang's name should be in every conversation. Yeah. And that other game, uh, which will be the first game out in the Midwest, Minnesota Duluth, the two-time defending champion, faces Michigan. Minnesota Duluth, 14-10-2. Uh, what's it going to take for them to three-peat? You know, they're an interesting team. To me, this is my favorite game of the entire first round. Like I look at this game, and it is so intriguing for so many reasons. I cannot wait to get this game going. Because for Minnesota Duluth, and obviously they're another team that I've you know seen 18 million times. You know, they're built really well. Now, their defense core is not the same defense core that's won national titles. That has to get out there and be understood. Whereas, there's no Dylan Sandberg, draft, you know, Winnipeg Jets. There's no Scott Perunovich, draft choice, St. Louis Blues, Hobie Baker, whatever. There's no Mikey Anderson, who's playing games right now for the Los Angeles Kings. There's no Nick Wolf, who's playing, who signed a pro contract with Boston, is playing in Providence. So, you lose that big four. That was some big four. So your big four right now are Wyatt Kaiser, who is going to be a Perunovich-like player as he continues to move along. Louis Rail is a really good workman-like defenseman. Matty Anderson, same deal, really good workman-like defenseman. And this kid, Connor Kelly, who has really come up as a freshman to, to open up some eyes. And then Matt Cairns, Darren Goats, and Hunter Lelling finish out that defense core. It's a good workman-like group, but it's not what it was when the big four I just mentioned was playing there. Mm -hmm. So that dimension has changed in terms of what the back end can do to create more offense and cause turnovers early in games. But up front, they are really solid, and I think what people don't understand is how fast they are. When it comes to their wingers, Kobe Roth, Cole Kepke, Kobe Bender, Tanner Latteru, Nick Sweeney, those guys can outright fly. And then you get four really good centers in Noah Cates, Jackson Cates, Jesse Johnson, whether it be Luke Lohite or Ben Almquist. I mean, that's a really good group. So what do they need to do to repeat? And this is why this game gets interesting. What is Michigan? High-powered. High offensive, 12 really good forwards, four defensemen who can go. They go north, they go quick, they have skill, they can make plays, they can individually they can make plays, as a team they can make plays. 
puck management becomes so important in this game because where UMD can kill you is how good they are defensively and because of their speed, how quickly they turn pucks around and go to the net. And they look comfortable at any moment of any game, no matter the score. I'm not sure that can be said for any other team in the country. Well, let's go out west to Loveland, Colorado, which is uh, hosting the West Regional. And uh, the first game there uh, is going to be uh, Quinnipiac and Minnesota State. Uh, Quinnipiac uh, obviously lost the ECAC Hockey Tournament title to St. Lawrence, but ended up getting the automatic bid to uh, for the ECAC uh, with St. Lawrence's uh, the, the, uh, departure because of uh, Brent Brecky's COVID-positive uh, test. But why do you think the committee sent Quinnipiac out west when they could have you know, kept them in Bridgeport? Your guess is as good as mine, and I would guarantee you it had something to do with bracket integrity. I, I think one of the common things that the bracket folks had to look at was, like, for example, with North Dakota, the easiest thing to do is take AIC and put them in Bridgeport, right, or, or put them in Albany. No travel, nice and simple, right there, local, you know, Springfield, Albany, nice, you know, hour and a half trip, whatever it is. But if you're North Dakota and you had the season that you had and you get the one seed overall, I mean, do you deserve to get Notre Dame in the first round? No. You know, do you deserve to do you deserve to get a higher powered team in the first round? I mean, like when you take a look at some of the the four seats that are in, I mean, there are some that are pretty good. And if you're North Dakota, I'm not so sure that <laughs> you know that was what you bargained for. So I think that had a lot to do with getting things sorted out. And why Quinnipiac, who is you know five minutes from Bridgeport, is is out where they are. But uh, Quinnipiac's always had a good team. Like I'm a big believer that Rand Techno belongs in the national tournament. He's He's great for college hockey. He's a good quote. He, he's passionate. His teams play hard. They play well. They're exciting. This Odin Tufto kid has been fun to watch for, for four years. I'm really, really enjoying watching the growth of Keith, Keith Petrozelli, who, who I had as a goalie in the Select 16 National Camp a few years back. Played for me. He was terrific. What a great kid. So I, 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 love, I love to see Quinnipiac in a tournament because they're a team that, you know, sometimes you can pinpoint their ID. Sometimes you can't, but... The one thing you know about Quinnipiac is they will always compete. As far as Minnesota State, uh, twenty-one season for them. Uh, what do you expect out of them? Minnesota State is is so well coached, and you know we talk about structure. Their structure is very good, and they've always had a really good defense core. And they've gotten again this year, and then you can try and McKay back there. I know I had a bit of a washout game in the WCHA playoffs, but. When you got a goalie that you know can steal games for you, that's huge. And that's what makes their offense stand up a little taller and take some chances. And I think they're sneaky good offensively. They they play smart. They they're one of those teams when you watch them play. You know, to the to the generic hockey fan, you may look at them and say, uh, you know, they're not as exciting as some of the other teams. But to me, they're like the Islanders. Like to the educated hockey eye, you absolutely understand the brilliance of their coaching staff. And to me, that's why they're always dangerous because they are they just understand how to play in all three zones, and they don't beat themselves. And the other matchup, uh, 10 o'clock on Saturday night, will be uh, 10 o'clock. It's a late time even for, for me but these days. But Minnesota and Omaha uh, face off in what would be the final regional semifinal game. Uh, the Gophers seem to be back, uh, won the uh, Big Ten tournament title, and uh, are rolling. They, they are. You know, you're talking about well-coached. Uh, they are well-coached, and I like the fact that Bob Motzko has changed the approach there a little bit, and he is also now doing things at Minnesota very similar to the way he did at St. Cloud State. He wants a lot of speed up front. He wants a disciplined team. Bob's team in St. Cloud State never took a lot of penalties, and now the University of Minnesota is one of those teams that sits up there in the bottom two or three in terms of overall penalty minutes. He's got great skill up front. Sampo Ranta, he has 
gotten Sample to buy into being a 200-foot player and playing inside the dots and playing smart and being gritty and going to hard areas. Sammy Walker has just been outrageous with great leadership. Blake McLaughlin's draft choice of Anaheim has, has been all-world this year, and Scott Reedy has given them a really dependable season. And then, you know, you take a look at their defensemen. They had a couple of guys that played on that world junior team, starting with Jackson Lacombe was a draft choice of, of Anaheim. And I, I just, I like the way this team plays. I mean, they can just get up and go. Ryan Johnson is a draft choice of Buffalo is the other world junior guy. And, and, and that's a team that could just scoot. I, I really like the way they're set up. So let's transition over to Omaha because there's a team that I've seen a ton of again this year too. And you know, Omaha, I have said from five games into the pod, as this is a team that is now built to play with the big boys. And I still feel that. They had a bit of a hiccup in their, in their semifinal game against Denver. That notwithstanding, this team is built nicely. It's a good top four in their defense score. Brandon Scanlon can really make some things happen. Jason Smolich has been really good on the back end. Isaiah Seville in goal. He's a draft choice in Las Vegas, he, or the Vegas Golden Knights. He, and he gives them a really steady goaltending and a chance to win. And, you know, where I think they're strong is on their top three lines. They've got a combination of speed, grit, and scoring. And they've got a centerman in Chase Primo, who, who I think has really opened up a lot of eyeballs over four years in his college career. So uh, that game, uh, Minnesota is faster. Minnesota is better. I would say Minnesota is by no means a shoe in to win this game. They are going to have to scratch and claw to beat an Omaha team that I think is much different than a lot of Omaha teams we've seen in the past. Who do you think we'll see in Pittsburgh for the semifinals on April 8th? I have me. <laughs> I mean, I have no idea. I have Ever since Union won and I got that right, I'm trying to get out of the prediction business. So, <laughs> Go out uh, on top. <laughs> yeah, so I will tell you, you'll see John Barry and Colby on TV, and you'll see me and Brian Tripp on radio. And other than that, I couldn't tell you who I think is going to get there because this thing could go in about 18 different ways. Well, let's hope we get there safely and uh, enjoy, finally get the enjoy what we missed last year. Our version of March Madness. I can't wait to get the puck drops uh, starting 1 o'clock uh, Friday with Wisconsin and Bemidji State. Absolutely. That's what we look for, right? That's right. That's right. Dave, I appreciate your insight as always and uh, stay well, my friend, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Shotzi. Appreciate it. Enjoy. Right. That's Dave Starman. We'll be back with more of the Parting Shots podcast in just a moment. Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, they answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers, have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. 
During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic. We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you. Be well, and please keep reading. What's going on, everybody? My name is Freddie Coleman, host of ESPN Radio's Freddie and Fitzsimmons, and you're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. I had a chance to talk with three of the coaches coming to Albany. First up is legendary Boston College hockey coach Jerry York. York returns to Albany 20 years after winning the 2001 Frozen Four at what was known as Pepsi Arena. I asked York about that during a Zoom call Sunday. Oh, just uh, incredible memories. Uh, that was our first one here at BC uh, in 50 years. And, you know, Chris Kalana scored the winning goal. It was uh, an incredible uh, crowd, incredible venue. And, you know, of course, North Dakota was an outstanding opponent. So uh, but we're going back again. And uh, I love the brand name schools. You know, it's cause sometimes... You know, your focus is even more. You play Notre Dame like this. Uh, I focus me right on that, and uh, our kids are really excited when that uh, Fighting Irish come up on that board. Up next is Notre Dame coach Jeff Jackson. He won his first NCAA title in 1992 in Albany, when the arena was known as Knickerbock Arena, and when he was head coach of Lake Superior State. That championship game is remembered for Wisconsin expressing its displeasure over referee Tim McConaughey's officiating. The Lakers got 11 power plays in the 5-3 victory. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, I think I, I think back to that because that game was very close to my heart and the fact that the year before we had a real problem with the officiating and discipline and we lost to Clarkson, maybe the most talented team I ever had at Lake Superior State, 1991. And we ended up, you know, losing... Uh, best of three to Clarkson that year, uh, and it was a it was all based on discipline and, and officiating. So my whole focus going into the 1992 was was discipline, and um, and that maybe was the transition from being the you know the, the one of the, the assistant coaches working for Frank. I had to be a little bit of the soft touch there. So um, 92, I buckled up things really tight. We lost a lot of really good hockey players that year, 91 too, uh, including Jimmy Dowd and that whole senior class. There was probably 10 of them. Uh, so winning in 92 was, you know, a little bit of a surprise for us to be able to come back and get back to the frozen four. Um, I think that, you know, when we lot, when we won that game, I was just so grateful that it wasn't us that was losing our, our cool because I saw it happen to us the year prior. And, uh, it did play a big role in uh, in us winning that championship. Next is Boston University coach Albie O'Connell. His team didn't get started until January 8th because of COVID protocols. The Terriers played just 15 games. 
the fewest of the 16 teams in the tournament. O'Connell talked about the challenges of the season. Yeah, you know, we were, we were, we were like a week behind everyone. I think everyone was starting right around Thanksgiving, and we were around the 4th of December. And I got a phone call uh, on December 1st, kind of filling me in to the, some details. And, you know, as we went on, you know, we were, we were not able to play those two games. Uh, we had a couple guys not able to go to the World Juniors because of being in contact to some others. And it just became a whole little bit of a mess there for the next couple weeks. And everyone was fine. Um, like, no one, no one was extremely sick. But at the same time, uh, we were just trying to take as much precaution as we could. Yeah, did you feel like you were behind the eight ball there early on when everybody else was playing and you, you're just basically sitting waiting to get uh, uh, news that you can start practicing again? Yeah, a little bit. Our, our administration was really good with, with the communication, you know, so I think uh, they kept us pretty clear of what uh, we needed to do, what guys needed to do to come back. Uh, and then we, we basically, when we paused, we... We, everyone went home for Christmas. And when we came back uh, on the 26th, we had to do a little bit of a quarantine just as we came back, and then that's what got us into the next week. And then we had just a couple practices, and then and then we played. So, yeah, it was early on. It was like those first couple weekends, guys were pretty tired, gassed, and you know, we had to really monitor energy levels and that sort of thing and, and just make sure we were not on the ice that long. I asked O'Connell about former Union College defenseman Joseph Campolino, the senior transferred to BU after Union decided not to play this season because of the pandemic. Really, I, I like him a lot. Like he's he's not uh, he's kind of quiet, um, but he's not quiet in his play. Like he's a good skater for for undersized defenseman. He's very strong. He can get under guys' hands. He's very good at the net front. Um, he can break you out. Um, I think he's he's just starting to hit his stride because he didn't really play in the fall. So he was off basically all fall. And then when, when he came, it was kind of like the start of the year, December. So he's only been playing for a couple months. So he's just starting to get, you know, more comfortable and confident. And that's, uh, that's kind of the story of the year for everyone. But he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's done a really good job. And he's been a great addition. How did you find him? Or did he find you? Um, I'd have to ask. Paul and Lenny. Um, I, I remember when we played him a couple of years prior, and then when he was he was going to transfer somewhere. Um, I remember when we played out in uh, out Belfast. We played Union mm-hmm. in the championship game there a couple of years ago. I just remember him, um, you know, buzzing up the ice. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how it kind of organically just happened, but um, I'm happy he's here. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and announce the week six winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette sports newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. 
Hi, I'm Uomini Women's Lacrosse Coach Katie Rowan Thompson. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. Week six of the NASCAR season is in the books, and the winner in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest is Joel Rolson of Albany. Not only did Joel win a $50 grocery card, he was the national winner, earning a $75 Visa gift card. Congratulations, Joel. Dwayne Leach of All Season Equipment and Scott Lucier of Capital Land GMC were the VIP advertising co-winners. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest, and that winner's name will also appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. Keep checking out DailyGazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. Even though the vaccine for the coronavirus is here, keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be positive. Stay negative. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Dave Starman, Jerry York, Jeff Jackson, and Albie O'Connell for being on the show. I'll have an extra edition of the Parting Shots podcast on Friday. I'll speak with new UAlbany men's basketball coach, Dwayne Killings. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe, wear the face mask.